Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Steve Macias and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Welcome to the 78th episode of the Out of the Question podcast. We are moving into the holiday season with Thanksgiving coming up and, of course, Christmas the month after that. Additionally, during the year, we have many established celebrations, such as birthdays and anniversaries. With the exception of Thanksgiving, usually gift-giving is attached to these special days. Some people get tired of the obligation to give gifts on these occasions, so the question for today is this. Is the practice of mandatory gift-giving scriptural? And I'll turn it over to you, Steve, for your thoughts and insights. Well, when we hear gift giving, especially around this time of year, we are always reminded of the gifts given to Christ um, by the Magi, by those wise men. Uh, And there seems to be a common cultural identity between the giving of Christ, the gifts at his birth, and this idea of giving gifts at Christmas, of giving gifts on birthdays. Uh, But now it's evolved into lots of different gift givings. Uh, You mentioned a whole bunch of things and you tried to exclude Thanksgiving, but I know if you participate in somebody's Thanksgiving, you have to bring a pie or you have to offer to make a side dish. There is a gift-giving component in our culture. Now, part of that is just being uh, outgoing, charitable. It is being a person who is willing to uh, give. As our Lord says, it's you know, better to give than to receive. But there is a point where this gift-giving becomes rather extreme. You know, we have associations where they collect money for gifts. We have (laughs) different, uh, for example, in schools, parent-teacher associations where they collect monies to give teachers gifts. All of these expectations where it becomes essentially uh, meaningless. The idea of I giving you a gift has been reduced down to a dollar amount. Uh, All the thought and sentiment has been removed from it. And I know in some families, especially large families, they have this secret drawing. And so if you have lots of brothers or sisters, or there are lots of cousins, you pick somebody's name out, and you're supposed to give that person a gift. Again, it's like, it takes the individual, I want to express to you how I feel about you, if you end up getting my name, but you really wanted to give a gift to someone else anyway. So it it sort of has become ritualistic. And I know that it can be very tiresome and sometimes it can actually hurt people financially because they haven't budgeted for the gift giving. Right. And I think the word I would use rather than ritualistic is, you know, mechanical. It's become an obligation. It's become something other than real gifting, right? Gifting is giving something you have to someone else. Now you, you talked about this kind of lottery or secret Santa type thing. There's other sides of that as well. My my wife grew up in one of those large families that you talked about, and they would have the similar, put the names in a hat and draw your gift. And all of the kids would secretly pray that one of the older brothers, I'm not going to say which one, but one of the older <laughs> brothers wasn't the person giving them their gift because they knew if they got that particular older brother, that their gift would probably be picked up at the 7-Eleven on the way to the Christmas party or something he had in his closet or something not worth very much because they had now transformed the idea of gift giving into an obligation. 
And so it gets very strange. I know growing up, we opened our gifts at Christmas, for example, on Christmas Eve. I know some people would, you know, go to bed and wake up. But since we never really did the Santa Claus thing, we knew where the gifts came from. And in some cases, I used to sneak into the closet and already know what was going to happen. One year, I thought for sure that the gift I had found in my mother's closet was for me. And then at Christmas, when my sister opened it and it wasn't mine, I was devastated and I started to cry. And I don't think my mother had a clue as to why I was crying because I couldn't exactly admit that I had snuck in and looked at the gifts. The point is, there's this idea that you owe me a gift. So if you've ever seen young children who have so many gifts, they're opening it, throwing it aside, looking for the next thing. And if you're the gift giver, Sometimes it's less than satisfying. That's right. Well, and there's, when you speak about gifts and gift giving and picking through the piles, there's a certain movie that comes to my mind that's probably not very popular among Christian families, but uh, it's from the Harry Potter series. And there's a spoiled child in, in this movie. And the son is very similar to the, the Eustace child from uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, this overweight, overindulgent child. And he receives his birthday gifts and he asks his father before he begins, how many presents do I have? And they look upon a table with, you know, wrapping paper and boxes and bags, really more than any child who's 10 or 11 years old really would deserve. And he says, son, there are 21 this year. And the son responds, 21? Well, we had 22 last year. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and yeah. The father responds with, well, some of them this year are considerably larger than last year. And you can quickly see uh, that the idea of gift giving had been reduced to numbers and receiving and the whole spirit of giving a gift had been removed. And don't you think there's a good chance that because we have taken it and turned it into something other than a true expression from your heart, that it actually ends up demeaning a little bit the actual gift that, for example, Christmas commemorates the incarnation of our Savior. Well, especially since salvation itself is likened unto a gift. If we in our culture, in our, in our social structures, begin to devalue what a gift is, the, the common language, the dictionary definition of what a gift is changing in our minds. And so when we read the scripture today and say, you know, salvation is a gift of God, not by works, not anything you can do. That means something in English. A gift means something. But in the 21st century, in the United States, in our time of overindulgence and meaningless gifts, what are we reading back into the scripture if our understanding of free gift is changing? Perhaps we're going to think of the gift of salvation as something that it's ritualistic, right? We do something and Therefore, we show up to church on this right occasion. We expect the gift. You see that a lot in liturgical or, or Roman Catholic churches. They expect the gift of Christ to ritualistic or mechanically come to them because they showed up on a Sunday, they kneeled before the altar, and therefore they were given the gift of the Eucharist and therefore salvation. That's what's happening in our gift-giving culture. We're believing this to be something we have earned or deserved by showing up. Or it could be the other way around. We think gifts are, are meaningless, and so they have no obligation or sacrifice attached to them. You know, we come, we bring a gift. It doesn't matter what you bring. It doesn't matter how much thought you put into it. What does that say about the gift of salvation? I prayed a prayer one time. It didn't cost me anything. I didn't change my life, but I received the free gift. Our understanding of how our social structures work, 
how we understand gift and sentiment really play into how we understand the gospel and what the gift of salvation is. And I think it goes back to the whole idea of value. Um, you're going to attach a value to something. Now, in these uh, secret Santas, as you put it, or there are different names for it, sometimes the requirement is, and it can't be over $15, or it has to be at least $5. And again, there's this outside determination telling you how to express sentiments. And over the years, I have been one of those people who recoiled against the obligation. So. For example, on Valentine's Day, my husband knows that he is not to send me flowers. He is not to give me gifts because, quite frankly, it won't seem like it's something he wanted to do. It would seem like the pressure of what are you going to get your wife or your girlfriend or whatever it is in our society. And so my advice to him has been pick a day that has no particular value to the culture, then give me the flowers and whatever that I know that you actually thought of it on your own as opposed to have been pushed into it. And this would go true for Mother's Day and Father's Day and all those things as well. Sure. Well, I think there's some truth to that. I think we really want authentic gifts, right? We want people to do things because they feel compelled to. But I think on the other side, there is a sense in which we need to be trained on how to give gifts. I think Rushdie talks about this in the sense of his discussions on etiquette and courtesy. There are certain things that we do out of obligation because they train us to think a certain way. Uh, for example, Rush uses this example of pushing a lady's chair in when she takes a seat. Right? Why do you do that? Why do you sit, let the lady sit down first and push her chair in? And, and Rush talks about the origin of this custom was that these uh, Victorian era chairs were so big, decorated and heavy that it was impossible for a young woman to pull in the chair herself. And so it was a, a sign of courtesy to gift her this little push and push her chair in. And it showed that you were a man of chivalry. Uh, I think that can be applied to gift giving as well. You know, there, there is a sense that you may not feel like giving somebody something, you know, when, when it, someone's birthday comes around or Christmas comes around, you may not feel an emotion attached to what you're giving, but there's still a certain training that is happening to you to act out of accordance to what is right, what is best for that person, how to serve that person rather than what we would say pure authentic emotions. Well, my mother had a habit with her mother that on her birthday, she would get her mother flowers. And I always said, why do you do that? And she said, well, she's the one who did the work that day. I just showed up. And so I started doing that. And my daughter has done that for me in the past as well. And I think it's a good practice because it shows a thought and a connection. However, if you are burdened by the fact, oh, somebody's birthday is coming up and I don't know what to get them and I have to get them something, then it even takes the pleasure out of the gift giving let alone the pleasure out of receiving it. And it used to be people would, and I know people who still do, send birthday cards in the mail. But that practice has decreased because now people can say happy birthday on Facebook. Or better yet, Facebook can tell you it's somebody's birthday and tell you to wish them a happy birthday. I think that's funny. Yeah, no, I think that is funny. Well, and I think you back down to 
the significance of the time. You know, we started this with the word celebration. And so those of us who like the etymology of words and how words are used in other ways know that one way to describe the Holy Communion service is to celebrate Holy Communion. And that's actually the origin of the term. The idea of celebrating a birthday or celebrating Thanksgiving find their origin in the idea of celebrating feast days or saints days or holy days in the old calendar. The origin is a Christian origin. The idea of setting something aside as worthy of celebrar this honor or dignity or solemnity. And so in Christian parlance or Christian terminology, to celebrate the nativity meant to have Holy Communion on that day, to set it apart worthy of our honor or attention. And so when we talk about celebrations, we should begin with that type of thing. Are, are the things that we're doing to celebrate somebody, are they honoring? Are they contributing to the solemnity of that person? And so does Secret Santa really get to the honor or the solemnity of Christmas or how much we value another person? It probably takes away from that. And I think that's at the root of what you're saying about Mother's Day and your birthday. Are we being intentional about allowing other people to be honored for the things they've done, the places they are, the, the estate they serve? And that's, I believe, the origin of celebration. And when you think about it, What's missing in the 21st century has a lot to do with the impersonal idea that we don't show respect to other individuals. It's very uncommon to see young people address their friends' parents by Mr. or Mrs. unless it's an intentional practice that's done. I know it's true in Christian schools. It's true in home schools. It often puts adults off saying, oh, no, no, you don't have to call me Mr. or Mrs. Call me by my first name. And they miss the point that there is an honor there that's being acknowledged. And I think it's tied into, because you talked about celebrations or honoring someone, is to make it a very thoughtful and deliberate thing that says, I'm, I'm noting this particular day of the calendar year or your particular day because I'm relating to you as a, you know, our specific relationship is being acknowledged as opposed to happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Okay. Happy birthday. Oh, I have to say happy birthday. Oh, I forgot to say happy birthday. It's not like these are magical expressions. They should be genuine expressions. That's right. Well, and it's not like we're absent of biblical examples of celebration. I mean, the Christian life, uh, as C.S. Lewis was describing it, is so joyful that the Catholics thought it couldn't be true. Uh, the Christian life is one of celebration. And that starts in the very beginning of the Gospels. We think of, of Levi and the man who was the sinful tax collector. Jesus says, follow me. And the way that he follows Jesus is not by you know, the mortification or introspection or doctrinal study. The way he followed Jesus was immediately, Levi sets off at his home, invites everybody to a great feast. The way that you and I are called to celebrate the relationship we have with Christ, who's come to heal and to restore us, is through the celebration of what Christ has done. 
And so each and every one of our festivals, every one of our birthdays, every holiday, every weekend, every Sunday, right? Everything we have that's a break from the monotony or the labor of our world is a celebration of what Christ has done. And so if we're going to remember Mother's Day, we're going to remember it in the context of celebrating how mothers have travailed and conquered childbirth in order that women might bring the Savior of the world into the world. We're going to celebrate mothers because of that base meaning. That's what we're we're celebrating. And we're also recognizing that our mother individually put something out that was you. And that is worthy of celebrating because now you have an eternal destiny uh, in the celebration of Christ. I guess what we're sort of saying is the commercialization of these holidays. Obviously, Hallmark likes people going out and buying their cards and people at Christmas time, retailers start the whole process of Christmas shopping, supposedly the day after Thanksgiving, but also it happens well before that, is that there's this push that that somehow or other to measure up you have to go through and get all stuff for people on your gift list. And you had mentioned earlier that at work or at school, then there are collections where you have to collect money so that the teacher can get a gift. But in some cases, you're not allowed to give an individual gift because it's prohibited by the administration because they don't want to have any sort of indication that there's favoritism going on. So I think this takes the guts out of gift giving by the commercialization of it, by the mandatory rules on how you can or can't give gifts, that it becomes very difficult to really have an expressive way that matches what you really want to say. Or if you even give time to, what do I really want to say here in giving this gift? Sure. Well, and you, you mentioned Hallmark, you mentioned commercialization. And as a good post-millennial Christian, I recognize that, that commercialization generally comes around things that are, are good, right? We're, we're going to have Christmas, we're going to buy presents, we're going to move culture forward, we're going to have supply demand, all that stuff is great. But what commercialism also, also reveals to us is that there is a piece of our culture looking for fulfillment in Hallmark. So Hallmark is making promises. You make this card for Valentine's Day, or you buy this card for Valentine's Day, you give it to somebody, it has inside written something you think you might say, which is a very bizarre thing in itself, but you put this card in somebody's mailbox, and that person is going to feel an emotion towards you. Same thing happens for the commercialization of Christmas. Parents gather up their savings for the year. They buy as many gifts for their children with the idea that you're going to generate inside your child's heart some type of uh, a feeling of love or warmth. The commercialization is attempting to fill in you some anticipation, some desire, some longing. There is an emotional fulfillment that we are trying to fill with commercialization. Now, if you compare that to all the different festivals of the Old Testament, there's a reality there, too. You have some festivals in the Old Testament, like, for example, the Passover, that are looking backwards. They're celebrating what God has done. You know, they're, they're anticipating, at the same time, the Messiah that is to come. And so I think our celebrations have to do that same thing. 
we have to recognize that the reason we love commercialism, the reason we love receiving gifts and cards and flowers and all of this stuff is because really we are looking for an emotional fulfillment. And what commercialism attempts to do is to supplant the role that the body of believers has in your life, your, your close friends or close relationships, and attempts to fill in those voids, those difficult relationships, those difficult uh, feelings with things, with gifts, with presents. But what is really required and what's really special about celebrations is the honor of being there. As much as you might enjoy it getting a, a birthday card, as much as you might enjoy having somebody come to your Facebook wall and write happy birthday, even today, it is more significant if that person showed up at your door, opened it and said happy birthday in person. Why is that? And it's because each and one of us is looking for the celebration of people together, not necessarily the, the celebration of things. And, and that's a really important thing. I, I'm not suggesting here that people don't give gifts. What I'm saying is that if we attach a dollar amount to the gift and say it has to be better than last year's or uh, how am I going to outdo what I did last year, is it possible that without really knowing it, we're trying to buy love and affection rather than give love and affection? And if it's reciprocated, it's reciprocated. And if it's not, it's not. But instead of feeling that, well, if I don't give my children or my grandchildren a really good present, then they're going to not love me as much. I mean, it, it, I think it borders in the area of idolatry that we're trying to buy some favor by um, going ahead and, and, and putting ourselves out there, but not really ourselves out there all the time, you know, our financial expenditure. Right. And I don't think any of us come into it thinking, I'm going to buy some favor. We actually put it in modern terms. We say it like this. We say, I want this to be a Christmas they will always remember. Or I want them to have a Christmas that I couldn't have growing up. And what we're saying beneath those phrases is, I want my child to remember my gift in the future, which is the same thing as, as what you're saying. We want to buy favor. But sometimes we couch it in these sentimental terms to make us feel better about it. You know, we have grandparents who are competing with grandparents for which is the favorite grandparent based on what gift they give. And so it puts us into this really kind of strange trap. And I think it takes some degree of uh, fortitude to not step there, to say, all right, I'm looking at this person. What could this person really use? Or what would this person really enjoy? And the gifts that I always like the best are those that totally relate to that person thought this through. They're right. I actually would really like that. But if I don't get a present from that person, I'm not hurt by it. It's just more like, let's be intentional on what we're doing and not necessarily have the calendar dictate how we show our affection and our appreciation for people based on the month or the day of the month. Right. Right. Well, I think the, the, closure on the idea of gift is that we cannot substitute our thought, our ideas, our self with any particular item, right? We, 
In order to be loving toward those we love, whether it's mothers, fathers, siblings, friends, we have to be ready and know about them. We have to be willing to invest enough in their life that we can think of what gifts they might want or need or use. My wife and I go round and round every Christmas because I have this phrase that I say that drives her crazy. And I only mean it half-heartedly. She asks me months before Christmas, Steve, what would you like for Christmas? And I tease and smile and I say, if you loved me, you would know what I want and you wouldn't have to ask me. <laughs> and, and she says, Steve, don't say that because I'm going to buy you something. I'm gonna, you're going to open on Christmas and you're going to say, this is not what I wanted. And you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> and the right. funny thing is, is I'm not at all like that. I could have zero things for Christmas and I'd be just fine. But there's still in our culture this anxiety that we're living to give gifts so that people can express approval for the gifts they receive. And this sort of touches, and maybe this will be an unpopular comment, but in antiquity and in pagan religions, there isn't the concept of God the way the scripture presents God. Usually, you're bringing a quote-unquote gift to the altar to buy favor. And if that God didn't deliver, well, then you would go and find another God. Because when this was a real transaction, I give you something and I expect blessings back. And is that even a scriptural concept that the gift we give should be given with the anticipation and expectation that by giving this gift, we're going to get something back? No, it's, it's definitely a problem, but our culture lives this way. You know, the, the greatest example of what you're describing in the Old Testament is, is Moloch, right? You come, you bring your child, you set it upon the fiery furnace, and you will find favor with you know, the pagan Moloch god. But I also think of the picture of bringing gifts to the king in the Old Testament, or even gifts to the pharaoh. Most of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments, where... Pharaoh receives these tribute offerings where dancers come in and gifts come in and gold comes in and they're laid before the king. Now, if your spouse or your child did that to you in your household, you'd be embarrassed about their extravagance. But <laughs> a lot of us live this way without the dancing and the ceremony and the feathers and the gold. We just use iPads or, or gift cards or things in place of those antiquity gifts. I remember... You talk about things that you say to your wife that drive her crazy. I know that my children, when I was, let's say, having a disagreement with they weren't obeying or I asking them to cooperate and they wouldn't, and if I knew if it was getting close to my birthday, I'd say, you know what? Skip buying me something. How about you just obey me when I tell you to do something? <laughs> and they say, it's not the same thing. And I say, well, actually, that gift would be more meaningful to me then whatever you can take your, you know, $13 or whatever you have saved or go to your dad and say, what are we going to get mom? And I know that you didn't buy it anyway, is that we just take the pretense out of it. And maybe we would have less gift giving, but more genuine relationships if we figured that how we related to people on a daily basis could be viewed as a gift. Right. Well, and I think that's the, the point of the gift. The gift is something you say about the other person. When we think of the wise men bringing their gift to, to Jesus, Jesus is this, this tiny child. He's not evaluating whether or not the gifts were worthy of him. The gifts were something from the heart of the wise men that spoke to the future of the child. 
know, the gift of gold is saying this man is going to be you know, a great king. The gift of myrrh is saying he's going to be a, you know, this great priest. This idea that the gifts were proclaiming something about my relationship to this person, rather trying to read this person's mind and give them a gift that might make them happy. Right. I don't think the Magi had in mind that as a result of presenting these gifts that they were going to benefit from it. As a matter of fact, they probably realized that had they gone back the way they came, there might have been consequences that were adverse for them. So a gift should really be an expression that has no expectation of getting anything back. That's right. And there is a sense in which we are required to give gifts. I I love that the Apostles in the book of Acts, quote the Lord Jesus, so that every time I read this during the service, I have to say, from the book of Acts, the apostles wrote, as our Lord Jesus taught, it is better to give than to receive, because that was basic to their identity, that there were something about the Christian life that is oriented around giving to other people. And for the very early centuries of the church, that included giving your life. And so when we get to giving of gifts, let's not be so cheap as to think that money can buy the best gifts. And I think if you look at the Old Testament sacrifices, a lot of times it's easy to say, okay, the trespass offering or the guilt offering, that's obviously fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But there were other offerings as well. And anything above the tithe in Scripture is technically considered a gift. In other words, you weren't obligated. The tithe is God's tax, and that's an obligation. But anything above that is a gift. And we can gift not just with things or with money, but we can gift with attention. We can gift with spending time with somebody, anticipating, well, you know, this woman is a widow and her, her children are, are, you know, struggling in school. The gift could be tutoring and not requiring anything back for it and, and doing it in such a way that she doesn't feel like she's a burden or she, she shouldn't receive this. In other words, we can gift in such a way as to not make people ashamed that they can't reciprocate. Because Jesus told us we're supposed to give, especially to those who we would have no expectation of getting things back. That's right. That's right. And I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the other sense of which gift is used in the scripture, and that is you know, spiritual gifts or, or gifts of your abilities and skills. And uh, that each and every one of us, outside of the idea of giving presents uh, or have received gifts from God, and that those gifts, uh, whether they are teaching or being a great mother or uh, being a great carpenter, all these gifts that you are given in your human estate uh, are given by God. The scripture says they come from above. And that part of your calling is to be a steward of these gifts. And I guess this can apply both to our spiritual gifts, our natural gifts, and to presence, is that the intention in the cosmic reality is that the gifts that we receive and use to bless others are to remind them of God's grace. Right? So these are all pictures of how God is using the things of this world to reveal himself. And that all of these gifts that come from above are reminders for us to point upwards to our Father who is the source of all goodness rather than to our humanity. Right. So 
In answer to the question, is mandatory gift giving scriptural? I think maybe as we've discussed it, the only things that are truly mandatory are those things that God has ordained and commanded in scripture. And anything above that would be a free expression. So it isn't necessarily unscriptural to give gifts any more than it's unscriptural not to give gifts. Sure. No, I agree. Just remind us of that verse that says, freely as you received, freely you are to give. And those of us who are listening to this podcast on our our devices surely have received not only the the grace of God, but the gift of plenty. And as we go into uh, the new year and Advent and Christmas, we are reminded of the ways that we can use our gifts to, to serve others and the call we have to use our gifts of stewardship to bless others. And with that, I'd like to make a recommendation of a book, and that is Dr. Rush Dooney's book on charity called In His Service. And he really explores the idea of what charity is, which, of course, a subject that's tied in with giving. And that's available at the calcedonstore.com. Do you have any recommendations? Well, if, if you're listening to this and you're, and you're wondering where could you go for some, some guidance on how gift giving or, or showing love can change you, uh, Jonathan Edwards wrote a great book called Charity and Its Fruit. And, and charity we often associate with giving of, of alms, but it also is the idea of expressing love for other people. So Edwards' Charity and Its Fruits talks about how giving of yourself, your time, your tithe, your offerings actually does more to transform you for Christ than it does other people. All righty. Well, listeners, thank you for spending some time with us today. Join us again next time. And any suggestions or questions or topics you'd like to see covered, Out of the Question Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.